Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Support for WYXR comes from Focal Point. Located in Crosstown Concourse, Focal Point is a Southern College of Optometry clinical facility that offers fittings with designer eyewear and eco-friendly frames. Learn more at focalpointcrosstown.com. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. And this week, my guest is Alex Turley from the Henry Turley Company, who also had a show on WXR. I was all ready to talk about it. And Alex, you told me that your show, you t- you're taking a hiatus, right? A hiatus. That's a good way to put it. <laughs> what was the show called? It was called Sure Shot Radio. It was Tuesday nights from 6 to 8, right after Zach Ives' uh, box of records and before JB's Nervous Rec Radio. You know, um, Box of Records is great. That's one of my favorite. I'm really into podcasts the last couple of years. I don't listen to as much music on the radio as I used to, but Zach Guy's show is great. So Zach can never give up his show. Yeah. He's in the racket. Yeah. You know? Well, I grew up, you know, really that my like you know, music is really, my coming of age music is like, you know, late 70s, early 80s, you know, new wave, that whole thing. And so CBGB's era yeah, stuff, uh-huh. all that kind of stuff, or the Antenna Club. In yes, yeah. I, when I moved here, the Antenna Club was past its heyday. I mean, I went there, so I caught the tail end of it. I say that it was from '92 to maybe 1994 or five, yeah. which I, I saw some good shows. I mean, yeah. it was a good place to be an adolescent with I, all that angst. I don't remember seeing. I saw Big Ass Truck there. And I don't remember other, I'm sure I went there. I don't remember seeing other shows. You know where I saw shows was 616. Okay. I saw some, I definitely saw some shows at 616, but it was more hip hop shows. At the Antenna, in addition to all the great local punk and hardcore bands, I remember seeing Green Day there for $5. Wow. Before anybody had ever heard of them. Wow. That was, that was kind of neat. I think it was the first time I ever went there in 92 too so okay um but lots of great uh local bands and actually i saw the antenna documentary again at the indie film fest a couple weeks ago they uh chris and morris yeah yeah Yeah. so So. cool definitely well but you know we're off topic already okay and i do that so so um so we're gonna i think um i i told you i was gonna i wanted to call this show it's what's next for Memphis neighborhoods because um, you and I are both really interested in neighborhood revitalization, how it happens and its implications. Been a lot of that going on, but um, I just wanted to ask you first, like how are you, are you originally from Memphis and what I like to ask people what neighborhood they grew up in? Cause I'm so, I really love neighborhoods. Likewise. I am originally from Memphis. I was actually born on York Avenue uh, right behind IC um, and then my parents got divorced at a young age and my mom moved to DC. So I kind of, I lived, you know, in two cities growing up. Right. So she was in Northwest DC, Friendship Heights. Uh, and then my dad moved to Evergreen uh, on a street called Carruthers Place. Okay. Yeah, of course. So I, uh, when I moved back to Memphis, kind of midway through my elementary school days, I, I grew up on Carruthers and if you remember, when did you move to Memphis, Emily? In 92. Okay. So you remember what that neighborhood looked like until about right then. You mean it, when all the, before, the, when the corridor had been torn down but correct. not rebuilt? Yeah. So I, I grew up in the backdrop of, you know, the sort of, um, I don't know, what was it, 10, 15 years of condemnation and uh, when they tore down hundreds of perfectly good bungalows yep. in Evergreen. Well, plus um, as some people, I don't know about you, you know, they would tear down the house next door. Like you were the line yep. and they would tear down the house next door. Our That's- block was perfectly intact. I was between Hawthorne and Evergreen on Carruthers. 
which is kind of a quintessential midtown street with of course, if, the, if, if really I-40 had gone through there, I mean, the neighborhood would not be what it is today. Well, I was going to say Evergreen, you get over to Evergreen and go west to Cleveland, and it was mostly vacant property, which I have to admit, as a kid, it was a fun neighborhood to run around in. Yeah. But yeah, you were sort of like made aware of the um, some failed sort of federal um policies just growing up you know what i mean so well and people probably um i think most metropolis listeners are local um but you know for people who don't know at one time um there was a proposal to put interstate 40 all the way through the zoo in the evergreen area instead of looping around the city the way it does now and it was a long case that eventually became a landmark case at the supreme court and we don't have time to go into that history today, but in anticipation of that, a whole bunch of houses were torn down in the Evergreen neighborhood where the highway was going to go. And then when the highway finally got, uh, activists put the kibosh on it, uh, the houses were all rebuilt uh, in, you know, style very compatible to the historic set. So probably, probably most people don't know that, but if people, I don't want to, you know, I, I, I like to demystify jargon and, explain things if I need to. So, so that's. Yeah. And the Crosstown Mound is of course a remnant of that. Yes. Okay. That's an, that's We're a story. For, okay. <laughs> that's a story for another day. That would, that would be a very interesting topic actually to talk about. Um, so, so you, you, you grew up in Memphis and in DC and you're the CEO of the Henry Turley company, which of course has a long history. And I want to talk about that a little bit, but um, how did you how did you get interested in, have you always worked in the real estate industry and how did you decide to make that your, your life's calling? Well, I, I have to stay in childhood to properly answer this because while I was living on Carruthers in the eighties and early nineties, my uncle Henry was busy, you know, uh, rebuilding downtown, right? sort of one section at a time. So, you know, at a young age, I was always close with my uncle. I would I would go down every week and spend the night with him at his condo up on the River Bluff. Oh, wow. So, you know, we would just it was just a weekly event. He was a very fun uncle. He was fun. And and this was an era when I remember he was the first person I knew who had a car phone, for instance. <laughs> I'm sure. Um That's a riot. And you know, I I got to go sort of uh explore these buildings before Henry redeveloped them. And that was pretty special. I got to see how the soup was made. Um, I remember, you know, very distinctly Henry having a model of Harbortown on his dining room table and saying, I'm going to do this. And I sort of looked at him cockeyed, like where? And he went and showed me and sure enough, he did it. That's unbelievable. Yeah. So you saw all that closing. I love going into old buildings before they're fixed up. Oh yeah. I did a lot of that. So growing up. So it was never any question you wanted to get in the family business. Well, not no, I wouldn't say that. There was never any question that I I, I was always an urban person. I was a city kid. And um I was inspired by living in cities and everything that went along with that. And I think, you know, shout out to my dad also for coining the Midtown is Memphis bumper sticker when I was a kid. I have to give him props for that. Okay. Because, and that was a response to the suburbanization that was occurring in Memphis. I think now it may be an elitist statement, which I guess makes it a successful branding job. Right. But anyway, I say that because it was really, I mean, I, I, I was, uh, I was inspired by being in cities and what, what came with that and the diversity in cities and the energy and um, yeah. And, and my uncle, the work that he did uh, of course was inspiring partly for that reason, you know? So, um, so talking about the Henry Turley company, of course, Henry's still around yeah, that's and right. <laughs> he's the, he's the vision. I just saw him. <laughs> As we know, <laughs> he's right. the vision. And, um, and so how, I mean, there's so much in that history and I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I guess, um, what do you think the, the company's known for in terms of, um, 
its work in neighborhoods? Well, I mean, the company, the Henry Turley Company exists to do projects and work that the city needs that are not being provided for. It's that simple. So initially, that was sort of bringing back downtown and repurposing what had been the central business district into kind of a residential neighborhood. So the city needed to be repopulated at that time. Right. That's sort of Harbor town was a demonstration area around creating an alternative to suburban living. Um, And of course, Henry always says he sort of accidentally helped create new urbanism in that, um, you know, uh, in that process. Well, yeah. I mean, it's a national model and, um, and again, I mean, I, I, it's probably a cliche to talk about what a visionary he is, but I'm sure at the time people thought he was totally crazy. Yeah. You know, you said the exact word, you took the words out of my mouth and I remember that too. Yeah. I remember when people said, what, what is your uncle doing? Right. And, you know, cause everybody else was doing, Hickory Hill, Cordova, and Henry was, was, you know, in the city and, and, you know, South Main Arts District, um, I think is a good example. You know, Henry recognized that this, there were artists in this neighborhood and that made it a cool, authentic place. Yep. And so he realized, um, you know, at, you know, in the eighties that in order to keep it, a cool, funky neighborhood, you needed to have artists there, but you also needed people. So he, he was, uh, he helped sort of facilitate um, the creation of that district by figuring out how to get artist buildings, you know, to put galleries and such. But at the same time, he, he knew, and as we all know, you, you, to have an active neighborhood, you need people. And so he would do, you know, the loft conversions, right. you know, to, to create the, you know, the. Oh, plus I just, I like, I've always, that's one thing I've always liked about him, that he, he just has the ability to shut down naysayers. And sometimes it's just like, I remember the, of course, Miss Cordelia's been there forever now, the grocery store in Harbor Town, but no one wanted to do a grocery store. He said, well, I'll just, damn it, I'll just do it myself. That's right. And he's the most optimistic person I've ever met by far. So another, I mean, he also, um, I mean, this man put people in the Shrine Building in 1980 in right? downtown Memphis. Well, You'd have to be an optimist to right? turn the and Shrine Building. And wasn't building. it condos, too? <laughs> yeah, and into, well, condos later. But, I mean, 1980 in downtown Memphis, Talk there about- were, there were few, very few businesses open. Tumble, tumbleweeds. Tumbleweeds, literally. So, um, so... And also, you know, and of course he acquired a lot of property that nobody wanted and um, was able ultimately to, you know, to redevelop it. But, but do you think that he just. Can you imagine nobody wanting the cotton exchange building? No. What a gem. But do you think he, do you think he um, just was convinced that everything comes back around and that eventually, or was it wanting to not lose things that would be torn down or what's no. what what was the source of his you know i'm just gonna buy these things and eventually redevelop them well it would honestly the the thing about henry and I, and really our company philosophy is we don't ever land bank property i mean we don't buy it until we're ready to develop it that's the interesting thing well but you have some stuff on the pinch you've had for the a while pinch? okay <laughs> That's funny. I know Jane Roberts just, called me today no. about the pinch. It's so funny. Well, That's no. the only exception. To well, the rule. I, like 20. But you know what we're waiting on in the pinch. I know. I know. What are we waiting on? That Tom, <laughs> what's his name? Oh, no. <laughs> Our the pinch, really, the key to the pinch is 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 St. Jude. That's our, that's our, along with the convention center. Right. I mean, our proximity to the convention center in St. Jude is what makes our property in Pinch um, a great property. But I think until we're able to, to see the, the, the actual Pinch start to revitalize. Well, there's a plan for that now, right? There is. A plan for the neighborhood, which is something. Um, But, um, Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, that's what we, it's not nothing against Bass Pro Shops, right? But you know, I think their design 
makes well, it so, where well, so there's is not really a connection. Well, so is St. Jude. There's a friggin' fence around it. Well, but you want to go to lunch? You work at St. Jude. You got to get uh, in your car, go out the gate. That's think, one of my pet peeves. But they're they're they're. Uh, I mean, that's pretty. I think security is pretty serious in a research hospital. Yeah. Like that. So you got to appreciate that. But I think I think Rick Shadiak is is a pretty progressive guy, and they own property and pinch that I, and I really think they're thinking about in a different way. Yeah, no, I, I mean, with the wonderful organization, I mean, you well, know, also but, they think in 10, 15, 20 year yeah, increments, but so that's always, that. but that's always, um, yeah, that's always bugged me. And I totally get it. You know, some of the sickest kids in the world, I understand that. But um, but they can't be an island forever. I'm not going to ever give up on St. Jude. So, you know, I think St. Jude, there's big opportunities still around around St. Jude sort of anchoring not only Pinch, but but Uptown, frankly. Well, yeah, but I well, anyway, I don't want to spend too much time on that because I don't want, you know, to get in trouble for criticizing St. Jude, God forbid. Um, The. But I want to talk. So, so before we talk about sort of neighborhood vitalization and what's going on, uh, tell me a little bit about your latest project. But I'm thinking about Orleans Station. You probably have other projects, but that's the one that's been in the news. That's a good. That's a good segue because really, you know, Orleans Station. The goal there was to help create an environment that would enable not only UT Health Science Center, who's our public partner there but the other anchor institutions to recruit research dollars, faculty, staff, really just to create a vital neighborhood um, in the medical district. It was really a a response in a way to the formation of the Memphis Medical District Collaborative. Well, and housing was a big part of that initial plan. That's right. And um, we're really excited about it, I think. So how many units, and I guess they'll have a retail component, Big retail component, I think. Um, 372 apartments and 16,000 square feet of retail. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're about halfway finished with it, believe it or not. We're delivering apartments right now. So people are moving in. People, we've got 35 people living there. Um, we'll have... Do you know what some of the retail tenants are going to be? I do. Well, we, we don't have see. leases yet. No, it's all triple top we, secret. We, yeah, right. Um, we don't have leases yet. And so, and I am, I, you don't I, want to I don't want to jinx, jinx. We've got, we've got a good tenant mix coming together. Okay. Really good tenant mix. And, you know, our, our goal with the retail and the merchant mix was really to sort of emphasize being in a health science center. So sort of wellness um, uh, and you know, sort of uses that would, uh, would thrive being in, in, you know, in the middle of, health science center. So I think, I think we're, I think that neighborhood could, could still benefit from a few more, you know, restaurants. There's so many great bars and restaurants in that area, but I feel like there's not a concentration of them yet. So like, you know, if you can say, Hey, let's go to Cooper Young. And then you figure out where you want to go or Overton square. You're not there, even though the, the quality is there. I don't think we're not quite there. Let's just go down there and see what's not too crowded. It's it's coming together. I agree. I think the Madison corridor start. I mean, you've got Inkwell now, which is very fun, which is great. Ben Kolar. I mean, he's he's done a fantastic job. I there. haven't been to the wine store place yet. Rootstock. Yeah, I haven't been there. Um, very nice but Inkwell. wine store. You've got, of course, you got Evelyn Olive that's been there. Yeah, you've got Sunrise. Um, over on Jefferson, you got Edge Alley. I love Edge Memphis Alley. Made at some point they'll they'll open up there. Yep. Uh, their tap room, but I, I agree. We do have we have some restaurants that are part of our our mix, and maybe Kudzu's so, will come back. Uh, <laughs> Talk about oh, bad man. timing. Kudzu's was a great place. It was a great the, place. The Edmondson's, shout out to the Edmondson's. Had many many fun nights there. So hearing music and mm-hmm. so um so let's so I you know so of course I've been in community was in working community development for a long time and there wasn't much neighborhood revitalization activity happening in the core other than the hope six and the choice neighborhoods mm-hmm. projects. Um, and, but over the last, there's been a, 
you know, a huge boom over the last, really, I would say. years? Yeah, 10 years. But really, yeah, probably. So I um, live, um, you know, I live right near Madison and McLean. mm -hmm. And I would say if I climbed up on my roof, I could see at least eight new apartment buildings from my roof. Some are smaller, some bigger. And, um, well, we own the Gilmore, so we keep track of all of them. Well, well, and I, yeah, in addition, not, I'm talking about new, I know that's what I mean. <laughs> and, um, and a lot of them are on, you know, land that is, um, has been vacant for a long time, vacant for a long time or way underutilized. And so there's really, I've got a bunch of a bunch of questions mm-hmm. that I want to ask you, but you know, one of them, and I want to talk about in a minute about you know, being Hampton and some of the lower income neighborhoods are also experiencing development is leading to pressures. But like, what ha- happened all of a sudden to make the real estate market more inviting for developers? That all of a sudden. Um, it was, they felt like there was a demand for a lot more. I'm just talking about apartments at the moment. Obviously, there's a lot of, you know, retail following, but I was just thinking about apartments in general. What happened with the market that all of a sudden people started, didn't just put up a building here and there. There's like eight I can see from my roof. I would go back to say it's a testament to cities, uh, to be honest with you. I, I mean, again, I've never lived in the suburbs. And I don't want to disparage the suburbs, but I do think at a certain point, and I don't know if it was a generational thing, because you know most of our apartments are occupied by twenty somethings right. and early thirty somethings, probably you know something in that range. So I think at you know I think at some point, and I don't know if it was the millennium, you know the. Um, Millennium, what do you, what do you call it? Millennials, right. I I'm, I'm on to Generation Z now. Right, so I forgot you. about them. No, I'm Generation X. Come on. Okay, I don't Generation know. X. I can't keep up. Look, I'm a baby Come boomer. On. <laughs> so. Uh, but I think that that uh, these kids who came started to come back to Memphis. I right. can only speak to Memphis. Obviously, we know there's been a national trend. Right. Coming back towards cities. But, but these kids would come back to Memphis. And I think part of it was the city started to amenitize, you know, we, the little stuff, bike lanes, the yep. green line, yep. right? Things like that. I think those things all contributed. You know, I think just the sort of the quality, the Grizzlies, let's not forget about the Grizzlies. Um, and then you started th- seeing projects like Crosstown Concourse. But I out. feel like, but I, but I still feel like, and you're the real estate person and I'm not, but there was a feasibility piece too. Like some of those projects would not have, made sense financially 10 years ago well yeah the rents you're right at the end of the day we we were we've perpetually memphis until recently has been in a place where the rents are the rents well yeah it just didn't justify especially didn't justify the kind of urban form that people that you might have wanted to see for instance you know where it's taller buildings and garages and things like that of course, we would argue that our form of construction and development using Orleans Station as an example kind of fits the the, the mode of living and the scale of Memphis. Um, it's nothing against, you know, the, the form that we're seeing become more, I don't want to say predominant, but like, like the building that was built across from Overton Park. You know, right. Just as an example, right. So, you know. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right know. by my house. Yeah, I actually like that pretty well. Yeah. Um, but you know, so you're you're asking what what changed? Yeah, to well, make, like to make... all of a sudden, and and you know, and I've got mixed feelings about. It. I desire a more urban environment. I, you know, I lived in New York, and I want to walk. I live in one of the even before all this happened. I live in one of the most walkable places in Memphis and I love it because like I can watch the movies and um, but all of a sudden, anyway, like I said, I have mixed feelings because a, a lot of this, like where the, let's use the citizen as an example, which is that McLean and union. I think it turned out nice. 
the citizen is nice. My point is that that is, I'm happy about the citizen because, um, because you remember what was there before. Yes, it was. It was an old. It was an old office building. It was basically an and a hotel that was. And it was abandoned building, and it was abandoned for like ten years at a very prominent corner. No, I love the citizen. That's one of the nicer of the these new buildings. But you know, these all of these things are raising prices. You know what else is happening? Is the people who own the older. Like people who own buildings that are the era of the Gilmore, who haven't done anything forever, are completely rehabbing, and um, and you know, so prices because they can because they can the economics totally. Of that. But I, I, I definitely well, you remember when Midtown when it was hard. To, I mean, all the apartments. I was thinking about it when I was growing up in Midtown, right. and even in the college, and when I got back to Memphis after college. Yeah, I mean the apartments were all of a certain vintage. I mean there was there was no remodeled apartments. No, when I first moved here, I looked at a bunch of those apartments. I was like, no, I want something no. nicer. Right. But having said that, I mean Midtown has always been the place where students, young twenties, mm-hmm. artists lived, and I personally know quite a few people that have gotten priced out. And this so, is what I meant about the Midtown is Memphis bumper sticker. Yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. I have mixed feelings about it because um, I'm happy to see the development. And, um, but, um, you know, it, it like I said, um, and I guess, and we're going to talk a little more about um, areas that are potentially more, um, areas that are more apt to get public subsidies or public private partnerships but a place like midtown is there are there any ways to mitigate some of that aside from like i know the there's some multifamily incentives there's a small affordable requirement if you take advantage of those i don't want to yeah. you get into all the jargon but i know that there's some of those building wonky do we? I, I understand i think i understand what you're yeah what you're like, getting at is there it's any sort of like in, in a, a private market environment, is there anything that can be done to sort of um, prevent to provide for more affordable product at the same, you know, a to small a out. small a affordable and to keep. And some, what does affordable mean too? Because there's the affordable that's eighty percent of AMI. There's yeah, I mean, we talking affordable in HUD terms? Are we? Ta- Do you I'm, know what I mean? I'm so, thinking about yeah. you know, I'm getting out of college and I'm moving. Well, and I'm teaching school. You know, I got a job teaching at Crosstown. I'm right out of college. And I want to get an apartment. Like, afford, you know, what what in community development, they call it workforce housing. That's, you know, a kind of another jargon. Another jargony term. Another yeah. jargony term. Basically, um, housing that people who work in a community can afford. Um, That's is funny. It, yeah. Is there any, are I there any. I conversation so, several times a week. And I was having it today. And just organically. Right. And, and, you know, first thing is people need to make more money. Teachers need to make more money. Yeah, for well, instance. yes. Well, I just mean, I mean, it is, it's, you got, we do have to think of uh, the issue on a more holistic, you know, in a more holistic way. Like it, it is, I think, and that's one thing I think that's, that's a plus uh, around the pandemic is people are making more money. I had to set a conversation with Paul Young about that, who's head of downtown Memphis Commission. He said the exact same thing. He said, we're never going to have enough affordable units and we need to continue developing them, but we need to work on the other end and and raise people's incomes. We can't lie tech our way out of poverty. In Memphis, okay, I, didn't bring, I did not bring my bell. Low income housing <laughs> tax credit, right. right? So, in other words, we can't incentivize ourselves. Well, yeah, I mean, I think really at the end of the day, um, we we do need affordable, decent housing. You know, we don't have enough of that in Memphis, Tennessee. Absolutely. Um, of course, a developer, you know, and don't use us as an example because we're a little different. But most developers, they're in it to, to to make a living and their margins are becoming increasingly tighter. Yeah. Right? You know, especially in this interest rate environment yeah. and construction cost environment. Um, so really, yeah, it does come down to sort of the public sector and their role. And then, you know, there's a bigger conversation about 
wages and um you know that again that that could be another show but yeah well so so but i guess i'm just again talking about sort of the na- the neighborhoods like midtown that were cure- already okay. that were already um considered to be desirable even though they might have been kind of run down so and um i just it's, it doesn't seem like there's much uh, and i guess there's probably you know, at some point there's going to be an oversupply. There's so much coming on stream and I'm sure prices will come down a little bit, but I think so. But these, I think we're probably plateauing right now. But there's, um, but there's not, um, I mean, I don't think they're coming there. I mean, the, the, you know, the, the era of like, you know, the 1800, the $800, you know, nice two bedroom apartment in Midtown. I mean, those, which is what some people can afford. That's so, true. so if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Alex Turley, who's with the Henry Turley Company. And we're having kind of a wide ranging conversation about housing and neighborhoods. And but I but Alex, I want to talk. Um, I want to talk a little bit about some of the what you, we would consider to be really lower income neighborhoods that are also experiencing some redevelopment activity. I'm thinking about being Hampton, but there's some others for sure. The neighborhood around cross their neighborhood around Crosstown um, and just North of there and probably got going even further North. Um, there's areas that are, you know, have been very, very poor for a long time and they're experiencing some, some redevelopment. Part part of it is their, um, my opinion is their geographic, um, you know, advantages. Um, they're very close to the center city, and um, but in but in those in those neighborhoods, um, you know, when when I'm generalizing a little bit, but I feel like with someone in Midtown, you know, who maybe used to rent a back house in Central Gardens. Um, they can't find anything affordable, so maybe now they're moving to Valentine Avenue. I think that's exactly. You, you asked where did the eight hundred dollar two bedroom yeah, house? Yeah, but but in uh, in places like Binghampton, and I think this was true in um, you know the uptown neighborhood before the redevelopment. People are living in um, you know um, substandard housing, and and in some cases, if they um, lose that housing, they don't have anywhere to go. I mean, they're couch surfing. And, you know, Uptown is a little different because I know you had incentives to help people fix. I mean, there was there were programs there as part of that whole project, but that's certainly not the case in in Binghampton when, when you have, you know, more expensive apartments combined with out-of-town investors buying up a lot of rental property and fixing it up and, and, that seems to me something that that is more something that be, would benefit from some more government intervention or the creation of some partnerships to really protect vulnerable people. Yeah, I mean, I think Memphis's big op, big opportunity is to develop in a way that distinguishes us from other cities. The norm. If, I mean, like I say, I, I grew up in D.C. as well. I went to college in Chicago. You know, you can go to those cities to see the norm, which we call gentrification. Right. Right. So I think I think Memphis has an opportunity to redevelop in a different way. We're starting to see I use being Hampton, being Hampton as an example, um, some of that kind of activity. But I wouldn't say it's the predominant. It's not a. um uh, I wouldn't say it's predominant at this point, you know, in terms of, of what, of what we're seeing. And I, and I would say if there's an economic slowdown, it's going to slow down as well. But I would say that Memphis, I think our biggest opportunity is to rebuild our inner city for Memphians and to acknowledge that in order to do that, you're going to have to, it's going to have to be a really collaborative multifaceted approach towards sort of merging community and economic development principles. So, you know, you talked about location, you know, I think of the medical district just to go back to that area, there's a huge amount of opportunity to connect people to, to 
jobs in the medical district. So if we can start to think about rebuilding neighborhoods that need investment in a way where we connect those that those efforts to job opportunities that I know that sounds oversimplified, but I think I think that's how we have to start thinking. And that gets back to, you know, earning a living where you don't have to do have subsidized housing, you know. And yeah, to your point, you know, you can't just rely on the private sector to do this. I mean, you have to have, you know, really city leadership, both government, um, private sector, uh, philanthropic. I mean, there's I think there's just there's an opportunity for collaboration. Um, and then sort of the, the, whether it's hospitals or really the, the job creators have to be at the table too, yeah. in a real authentic way. Um, but yeah, I, I think, you know, we're at this point where we've got to decide we're sort of at a fork in the road. What I can- do think we're kind of a tipping point and, um, and the, when you were talking earlier, we talked about, you know, we need to sort of be proactive now, but the time, but, but I know from, a, you know, attending enough national community development conferences, you know, the time for plant for gentrification is before it happens. And, but, um, but yeah, I agree with everything you're saying. And I do think, I do think Uptown is the model though. And yeah, I mean, Uptown is Henry, just another crazy idea. And essentially Henry was able to, the best part about Harbor Town is that he was able to, leverage Harbortown yep. to revitalize a, a neighborhood that had suffered decades of disinvestment. Well, I think we're doing, I think we're doing more things right than we were. I mean, you sort of mentioned the like, and I don't want to get too much in the weeds, but you know, the tax increment financing tool was used successfully in uptown, partly because it was able to take advantage of property values in Harbortown, right? Yeah, and I, I do think sometimes we fixate on the financing vehicle, you know, instead of thinking about what are we trying to achieve? And then well, you can use a mix of whether it's TIF, pilots, CIP. Right. I mean, just capital you know, improvement. Yeah. Well, I guess my point is, though, that that tool only exists in that one place and we couldn't do it anywhere else because one person said we couldn't. And well, now, now you, that you, you did, you, there's nowhere else where you could create such an increment that, that was created in Harbor Town. I mean, Harbor Town was raw. Land. Yeah, but I'm just saying that tool is now available with varying degrees of success in other places. And um, also, I think the, um, you know, the Accelerate Memphis, um, you know, Mayor Strickland's, I mean, and I realized that, that I don't, and I don't want to really get in the weeds to talk about, you know, our bond rating and stuff like that. But yeah, you know what? We could have been issuing bonds for some of this stuff. I mean, we have, you know, libraries, communities, and haven't been had any improvements in 30 years. And someone finally said, you know what? We got to borrow some money for this. I mean, that's why we have bond, bonds. I'm simplifying. But I, when that came along, I was like, you know what? This is the right thing to do. And I think those were doing some of the right things, but, um, but the, like in terms of uptown, those big kind of public private partnerships, opportunities to do those don't come along that often. Yeah. And we think of uptown as kind of like the proto for choice neighborhoods, yeah. right? Hope six, you had hope six and now HUD is doing choice neighborhoods, quote unquote. And I think the idea behind that is again, you can't just redevelop the public housing. You have to get beyond that and create economic opportunities. You got to have good schools close by. Um, You have to have transportation options for people. So I I think, I think there's an opportunity again, South city, it's proximity to the medical district provides some opportunities to connect to, um, to job creators. And, and, but I think we, we all have to be at the table in a real um, authentic way and all focused around this goal of, uh, of, of getting people out of poverty in Memphis, Tennessee. I mean, that's what it comes down to. So I think sometimes we get fixated to Paul's point on affordable housing. Right. It misses the larger point. You, do you know what I'm Well, they're both, I wouldn't say this. I wouldn't say it's missing the point. It's just that there's, there's more than one. We can't just pursue more than one solution. We can't that's just right. pursue one thing. It's, and- you're right. It's, I'm not trying to, to, um, 
to de-emphasize the fact Memphis has gotten rents have went up fast, went up a lot in a short amount of time in Memphis. I mean, it was like for a long time, rents were fairly flat. And then, you know, the last, and, about and, like you said, the last five years. And well, property, I mean, to to buy property too. I mean, to oh, I'm thinking about home ownership. I mean, prices, home ownership, you know, to buy a house went up. That trickled down, affected the rental market. Yeah, the the cost of housing generally. And you talked about income, but of course, you know, the other leg of that stool is transportation. And um, but the, I guess the feeling is that trying to solve for all of those at the same time just seems like an exercise in frustration. Uh, uh. I don't know. Think about the but going back to Henry's optimism. I mean, look at everything he, that he's ever thought up. Right. It all sounded like oh, there's no way we could do that, you know. But we think we think there's an opportunity because of the size and scale of Memphis and the accessibility. I mean, that's what people who aren't from Memphis they always say. You know, Memphis is such an accessible place in terms of people. You know, connecting with people. I think there's an opportunity to develop redevelop in an inclusive and equitable way if we can all put our you know um put our minds to it you know and get serious about it otherwise we'd just be another austin or nashville you know? well i think people are worried about that yeah that we as, are moving as, as in we that should direction. be as we should be so um so what do you what well, do you- i would say i want let me qualify that i i want to think about it from a proactive way yeah so you know course i'm in a position where i can do that right but i think it's it's public private partnership and it's it's the community acknowledging that we we should have one goal which is getting people out of poverty and everything that goes along with poverty trauma we talk about crime constantly yeah well i mean we know how how crime works right (laughs) right i mean it's a symptom of Poverty right. and trauma, essentially. You right. Know? Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. All of that. All of that. So, so what do you, um, so in terms of building out the urban core and there's a lot of opportunity and we've got even now a lot of vacant land and, um, I mean, what do you see? Do you see this, um, this kind of investment in, continuing on i mean apartments and retail and i think the apartment development spigot is turning off not turning off but i mean i think it's it's slowing down and i really think we do need to focus on i think someone calls it the missing middle yep sort of middle class affordable housing well it's single really, family it's really duplexes and quads and well stuff. and i don't if that's literally what missing middle is when i say miss i mean we need middle-class housing and in, in our city, in our urban areas, which means we need middle-class jobs too. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I had Andre Jones on last week yeah. and we talked about, um, Andre's doing it. Yeah. In we talked about that. So his, his project has been a real success. I've, I, I've watched it and I know. Andre's such a great guy. I know. I know. It was really, I'm, I don't know him. I've known him for a while and it was really great to have him on, but the, um, so are the, um, and so you talked about, um, you know, the retail spots. Like, is do you feel like neighborhood retail is that going to continue to? Because that's done do. really well. I do, and you know, you mentioned we're in the grocery store business in Harbortown, right? And I will tell you, the pandemic shifted people back to their neighborhood retail options. You know, in in a smaller scale right. of retail, but there's, you know, that's not available in every neighborhood. Yeah. Harbor town, obviously you have a captive audience, but we, we paid attention and, and um, noticed that our neighbors really appreciated being able to shop at a grocery store where, you know, people knew their name and that kind of thing. So no, I do think, I think there's hopefully going to be more emphasis on smaller scale kind of local neighborhood retail. So, um, and we, we, we talked for a minute about, you know, of course, interest rates going up so much. Um, Kemp Conrad was on a couple of weeks ago. 
have been wanting to do a show about industrial real estate mm. as wonky as it is. No, I'm I, interested in it. Absolutely. And he said, you know, he said like all the deals, like he's just said it's pencils down. Like everything's on hold yeah. because, and is that affecting your business as well? No, we're in such a different business. Now I will say it's affecting things like, you know, our Orleans station is on a construction loan. And so normally at stabilization, you would go get a permanent loan. Right. right? So we don't know what that's going to look like in a year. Right. So, but no, what, what Kent's probably referring to is, you know, when people have a, a piece of investment property under contract and say, let's say they put it under contract, you know, 45, 60 days ago, you look at how the markets shift in that period of time. So they're retrading, you know, and yeah. deals aren't closing and that's happening along all sectors of investment properties right now. So um, what's, what's in the pipeline for after Orleans station for Henry Turley company? I, you know, I really do think there's an opportunity to rebuild our inner city neighborhoods in Memphis in an equitable and inclusive way. Um, and, and, you know, I think we're interested in, uh, continuing the kind of work that we did in Uptown starting 20 years ago. And believe it or not, I know this Memphis metropolis, but if you ever get up to Jackson, Tennessee, um, you should go see what we've been doing up to up, up in, in that city for the last 10 years. Really? But it's, it's a similar effort, uh, as Uptown, except for we did a partnership with West Tennessee Healthcare. Who's the, the big hospital up there and the biggest employer in town. Uh, and it's, it's, uh, the whole, the whole, um, neighborhood effort is we call it healthy community and it's anchored by a wellness center that's operated by West Tennessee healthcare. We have an organic grocery store, um, great pizza place, farmer's market. So the medical district project here was a perfect fit. It, it really was. It was kind of our test case when we were doing our proposal, you know, we had to do an RFP. It was our test case, but then we did a TIF too. And we have a kind of a mixed income neighborhood in that old, the Lambeth area. Um, and there's just, there's building everywhere. And then we ended up developing two public schools. So we did a public private partnership. Really? So it's, it's, and Very again, cool. it's, it's not Memphis, but I think it, it's a, it's a good case study in kind of uh, urban redevelopment and public private partnerships and mixed income development. Or are you looking at any, any neighborhoods in particular? I know you said you don't, and I don't want you to reveal your special trade secrets, but I know you said you got that Henry Hill doesn't really, for the most part, buy land and hold it. Um, but is there any, would you like to do more in the medical district or? I think, yeah, I think the medical district, I mean, from our standpoint, downtown has gotten to a point where others are building downtown. And that was kind of the idea, right? right. We sort of normalized being able to develop downtown. So the medical district felt like a natural place for us to shift our focus and energy. And if you think about the medical district, it, it's a big area, right? It touches a lot of neighborhoods. Well, especially if you include St. Jude. You drew that weird line up there, but yes. Yeah. I think the pinch is a bit of a stretch yeah. when we're talking about the medical district. But right. I, I think of kind of the medical district is, you know, sort of Danny Thomas to Cleveland. And I I, stre- I go up to Chelsea and down to Crump. So I think of those, air, you know, I think there there's this core, you know, opportunity to where there's economic activity in the medical district and you have these different kinds of neighborhoods but really you have you have some poor neighborhoods that need to be connected to those economic opportunities and you already have investment in uptown and you have the the choice neighborhood investment so there's there's already investment but there's still pockets for sure oh there's a on the south end and the north end there's a lot of opportunity i I think in that in that area well and that whole area outside of crosstown concourse um and um i'd love to see you guys do a project in that area uh, are you, you speaking? Are you talking about like that? Cro- the Crosstown the- neighborhood, really? I mean, it's 
you know, north of there. I just feel like they're still. Well, you know, Archie's doing that. North Archie side and Rashawn. North yeah. Side high. Well, yeah. that's a, it's not just North Side High. Oh, I know. You know they got. Yep. They got a. They have a. I hate to keep talking, saying tiffs, but right. they got a tiff. Not yet. They from, don't. Do they not? Do they not? It's still in the approval process. Is it? Well, either way, they have a pretty. There's a pretty ambitious right. plan, I think, to to reinvigorate that neighborhood in yep. an equitable way. Yeah. And it abuts up the uptown tiff. I so. agree. I agree with you. So okay, well, maybe on the south side, but I'm sure there's lots of opportunities. Well, no, the south side, you know, you've got again, you have the former public housing sites, the choice neighborhood, right? Um, the Vance Middle Grant. School site. But then you have, as you said, everything around it. There, there needs to be a, a lot of investment around it. That and whole Peabody Vance area. Absolutely. There's tons of opportunity, and there's been a lot. There's been a lot of redevelopment activity but there's still a lot of opportunity you know archie's our partner and has been since the days yeah. of uptown and you know his dad was one of henry's biggest mentors so, so does the turley i mean does it is that is the turley family name like turley it's such a big name there's only well, a few I mean, of us well right? you know if you drive down like in that FedEx Forum. There's a little bit of a, por- yeah. a portion of a street. It's called Turley That's Street. Right. There's nothing on it anymore. Yeah. But no, they that... built some. They built some little row homes or something. Like, like. is that is that That's your family? family? That's my great great grandfather, I guess, who was a senator. So. That's where the name got big. Okay. And then Henry, you know, when I was a kid, nobody knew anything about a Turley. But then Henry started getting big, right. and now oh, it's the Turleys, you know. So it went. <laughs> I said all five of you. I'm fine with it, right? you know. Of course, okay. we're, there's there's several different Turley families, and we're not all related to right. So that's, uh, right. But my dad's Calvin, and my uncle's Henry. And so, what about Peggy? No relation, but she's one of my she's a good buddy of my dad. She's, okay, she's great. I love Peggy. Yeah, she's great. Okay. Well, we're out of time. This oh, has been that, incredibly that interesting. So, so um, I've been, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I've been talking to Alex Turley, CEO of Henry Turley Company, about the future of Memphis neighborhoods. And um, Alex, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Love the show. This is Will Goodwin, co-founder at Crosstown Brewing Company. Just like WYXR, Crosstown Brewing supports Memphis music and our neighbors who use their talents to make it. Our beers can be found at our 3,000-square-foot taproom right here at the Crosstown Concourse and at your favorite bars, restaurants, and stores throughout Tennessee, Mississippi, and eastern Arkansas. Enjoy. been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.